no little cinnamon gum freshens breath longer than Big Red. So kiss a little longer, hold tight a little longer, be close a little longer, longer with Big Red. Welcome to episode 100 and I don't remember which one, we'll say 7, of the Feminine Critique. I'm Emily, with me, the one, the only. Christine, one day I'll remember the number and I'll be able to help you. Oh, but I and you, will, you will shock me. I will. The monocle will <laughs> pop out of my eye and crack into a thousand pieces and render me blind because I will not oh, be no. ready for that. Yeah. So I don't maybe, want that to happen. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe just keep living in the happy world of oblivion that you're in. Okay, I won't do that to you. All right, Christine, what movies are we talking about on episode 106? Um, well, we are covering 1970-somethings Deep Red. <laughs> 75. And then 1973? Uh-huh. Yeah, don't look now. Yes. Um, boy, did I would have never guessed that, that Don't Look Now came out before Deep Red. Well, you want to know a, a fun fact? Do you want to know what movie Don't Look Now was released on a double bill with? At like uh, Midnight Drive-Ins, what it would show with? I can't wait to find out. Uh, it is one of both of our favorite movies of all time. What? The Wicker Man. <gasps> so good. Yeah. yeah. That would have been a life-changing double bill. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited because now I kind of picked Deep Red because I had never seen it. And it was on Amazon Prime, and then you paired it with Don't Look Now. And aside from them both being, like, 70s films filmed in Italy, genre, bending, blah, blah, there are so many, like, little random mm-hmm. connections and connective threads. It's weird. Yeah. The color red, perhaps, might be one. <laughs> I don't know. So maybe there was, like, more of a, like subconscious reason i picked don't look now but i really picked it because when you read the, i forgot what deep red was about because i have seen it but when you read the synopsis it immediately calls out the psychic who is plays a very small part in this movie um but i remember the psychic ladies and don't look now or the psychic lady and don't look now one oh, of yeah. my favorite characters ever yeah and anything um and that's why i paired them but you, you did a fine job. Thank you. Yeah. I wonder, though, if, like, subconsciously I was like, oh, there's these other themes in Italy and, and the 70s. and I would very no. much believe you did. Okay, well, thank you for giving <laughs> me that much credit. Uh, even, like, little things, like, he finds a doll in the water and there are dolls used in Deep Red. Like, they're just, they, they work so well together as a double bill, so. Woo-hoo. Well done, well done. We're done, guys. We, we went on on top. We're, we're going away. Good night. Good night. Uh, <laughs> I kid, of course. Now, before we get to these very red movies, let's talk about what else we've been watching this past uh, couple of weeks. Christine, what you got? I have a very short list, and I cannot... I cannot tell you why. I don't know why. Okay. Um, I do know that I have been watching a little bit of TV. I think I mentioned that I finally started Glow, and I like it. <gasps> yes. How far are you? Did you finish season two? No, I. we haven't finished. We're almost to the end of season one. Okay, okay. Oh, God, we're, it's so good. And season two is so good. We're going slow on it because okay. 
we made a decision that shows we actually like we don't really want to binge mm-hmm. in like that, that way because um i tend to not remember a lot of it yep when i do that that being said um i re- <laughs> we recently watched in like three days the entire season of american horror story the roanoke season <laughs> i didn't watch that one i stopped after freak show i gave up because i hated freak show so much and i'm like no nope, not anymore so, I, I watched how are 25 you minutes of Freak Show and shut Freak Show oh, yeah. off. It, it I watched, was a, a, I watched like half of Hotel and shut it off. I couldn't do it. But then I don't know why. I think I was killing time and I saw, oh, yeah, this is still on Netflix. And they just announced the next season. They did. I forget what. I think it's Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, and so I was like, you know, oh, look. Roanoke. I never. I had no interest in because I hate Roanoke shit. I hate. Roanoke oh, and I love shit. Roanoke shit. <laughs> I there was like a period of time. Yellow I feel brick like road. The, anybody? Right, where in like that the mid two thousands, like early two thousand tens, where everything was like, and the twist is Roanoke. And, and I, lo- like, and oh. I, I mean, sometimes you know people like to say you and I often agree on things, but there are places <laughs> where we split, and apparently Roanoke. Roanoke is the fork in the road for us. So that's why, I, other than so you had it, there was it had nothing going for it. The last two seasons I couldn't even get into, like I couldn't start watching. And I and almost this, debated watching Roanoke because I'm like, you know, I do really like Roanoke stories, but it's not really. First of all, it's not really about Roanoke, right? So which, thank, thankfully, I made the decision not to watch it. Disappointing for you, ha- exciting for me. <laughs> um, I find American Horror Story to be extremely frustrating. Oh, you think? Because Just there's think. so much stuff that is good. Yeah. And it's like, why is all this bad and, stuff and happening? Why are these brilliant actresses here if this is what you're going to do yep. to them and give to them? Yep. You have so, Kathy Bates, Angela Bassett, Jessica Lang. You have this incredible mm-hmm. roster of women. And we're just going to make their characters super inconsistent and even though we know we only have 12 episodes we could very easily lay this whole thing out at once and know exactly where to go but instead instead christine every season at least the five that i watched what we're gonna do no here's what we're gonna do we're gonna tell some really quick stories and then we're gonna meander for four episodes and wallow and then we're gonna rush things and then we're gonna end every season with loose ends and and rushing and it's gonna be really unsatisfying because that's how we work says ryan murphy that, I have heard him say that yes. actually. I'm, these, um, these shows might have frustrated me a little bit. They so I I and I've talked about Zach hasn't seen any of them. So I put I put Roanoke on and like I don't know what he was doing something and then halfway through the first episode or like a, a third of the way through he comes in and he's like what, what are you watching and I was like oh you know Roanoke season of American Horror Story I've never seen it ends up watching the whole thing with me. <laughs> um, and I was like, that wasn't very good. There were good things in it. Mm-hmm. I genuinely like 1, 2, and 3. So Murder House, Asylum, and Coven. I genuinely like them. Coven had a lot of weak spots, yeah. but I think overall it worked for me because of the performances. And I went on and on about, well, Vera, Vera Farmiga is in the first season, no, she's and not. Connie Britton's in the first one, and... What? Vera Farmiga isn't in any isn't in them. Her, yes, her younger first... sister. No, her younger sister is in um Coven. No, I'm Vera Farmiga I'm... is not in uh you were lying. Oh, 
now to the internets we go and i i admit i will admit if i'm wrong and i could be just no you're wrong she's not who were you thinking she played in the first her sister her younger sister not taifa yeah taifa that's not well she's the she's the daughter obviously right and Connie but Britton I'm thinking is the mother, of another human and Jessica Lang is the neighbor. And oh, um, and Al No, no, it's your other girl. It's it's Alexandra Daddario, the one from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Is that it? That's no, not who That's not her. Jesus Christ. American horror story. Look, I a hundred percent will admit that I have remembered this wrong for years. It's I think weird. you are thinking of. What am I thinking of? You're thi- I, I know Emily, you're thinking of. I know. I, I know. I know. Of? I got it. Uh, not Francis Conroy. Maybe Francis. Con- Francis Conroy is in it too. Um, no, I definitely not. I know exactly who that is. It took me a second. Oh, oh, oh! I don't know who oh. I'm thinking of. Oh, it's the the maid, the woman who plays the maid, right? That's like, who you're thinking I, of. I love her. She's great. I know exactly who that would, that okay. is too. I do not know. I will rewatch it and I will tell you okay. what character I thought she was. But anyways, that first season's good, second season's good, third season's good. Yeah. This if you ever want to watch something that you may or may not find redeeming things in, you should watch, <laughs> you should watch Sometimes, Roanoke. You know, I don't know about you, but every once in a while I find what, what kind of mood am I in? Am I in like a dangerous mood? And I am I in like a romantic comedy mood? Am I in a mood to be really unsatisfied? Yeah, that's it. You know what? That's exactly how I would describe my experience with it because it it does so many cool things. Mm. It's so meta and it's so interesting, but it fucking squanders every interesting thing it sets up. Yeah, it's kind of par for the course for that show. It it's it's really not at all what I expected and it does this really interesting like switch halfway through the season that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, this is cool. They're going to do something. This is going to be so cool. And then, like, the last three episodes, it's like, why did you even bother? Yeah. That was in the point. That was kind of what I thought I expected of it. And that's why I didn't watch it. Yeah. Eh, so, oh, and we, we started to watch Cult, but we never finished that one. I was just kind of like, Sarah Paulson's a really, really good actress. I think she's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And I think the choice was made to... Like let's make her almost unbearable, oh. and it's not her fault. Yeah, the, I just the character is really bad. She does a great job playing a character that you don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I, good. Murphy would probably be like it. It it takes the mirror and turns it back at at liberal hypocrisy. I don't want that. No. Yeah, I remember seeing like a preview for it and I was like, yeah, you know, I probably wouldn't have watched it anyway because I kind of have given up on that franchise. But I was like, yeah, this really doesn't seem like what I need right now with the way of the world. No. So yeah, now movies that I watch, there's so very few. Um, So saw Skyscraper in the theater. Of course you did. I I had faith that you would. What did you think? Um kind of forgettable what it's only the eighth movie dwayne johnson has made this year where he's trying to save his family it's the sky it wasn't skyscrapery enough for me mm, that is a shame um there was weird plot stuff and like i'm just i i was like why are they doing this mm. um oh that's gonna be my recommend so what is this movie i've watched a movie called safe house and Denzel? i think I think it was Denzel okay. and Ryan Reynolds. That sounds right. I think I recall the preview from 
from aughts back. Let me tell you, I don't remember a thing about this movie. <laughs> it was really intense, but nothing was happening. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> uh, rewatched Hellboy for some reason. Yeah, um, that. I just rewatched Jennifer's Body like, this nice. afternoon. Very nice. Love that movie. And then saw, I think it's Friend Request, Dark Web. It's not unfriended. Oh, yeah, no, wait. Or okay. This gets very confused. No. Uh, unfriend. The one that's in the theaters now is the sequel to Unfriended. Okay, so it's Unfriended. Yes. What did you think okay. of that? I'm, I've heard really people are very excited about it. I like oh, the first one. I mean, it's not. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's fine. Zach hated it. Um, very rarely do we do we disagree. I didn't. I didn't hate it at all. I just. Right. I was kind of. It was exactly what I expected it to be. Did you uh, like the first one? Where does it fall to that one? I was pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the thing is, like, this one can't really surprise you because the first one already surprised you. Okay. That's kind of how I felt. So I was just like, okay, well, I kind of expect to know what this is going to be about. And it was exactly what I expected it to be about. And it twisted in the exact ways I expected it to. I wasn't bored. I thought the runtime went really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it felt like a movie for, I think it is PG-13, it felt like a movie for high school kids. Mm, got it. Um, but, like, it was fine. Yeah, like, I mean, that's, I, I, that's fine. I would never I f- say, don't see it, don't waste your time. Right, but, like, right. Because I feel like Unfriended, the first one, was pretty, I, I don't think that came out in theaters. I think it was um, mostly DVD, and I, I don't, I feel like that was R, that, that was meaner. Like, that had a kind of bleakness and kind of this one does too okay but it's not it's very like it pulls a lot of punches got it got it interesting um it feels like a sanitized version of quote-unquote the dark web almost more like friend request if you will which we both liked i think i did i like i think friend request had a lot more style Mm. and actual tension than this did this never felt and even the first Unfriended felt like there was some, some stakes and some tension. This one I never really like felt. But I, I was never bored. I was never like, I wonder if this is the last act. Or when is this going to end? So, I mean, it did what it was supposed to do. It was a lot like that movie The Den. Yeah, which is one that I would like put in that same group, obviously. Because they're all... Yeah. But even The Den, which I probably liked of the three of unfriended friend request and the den uh, den was probably my least favorite of the three yeah but i liked it and it ha- like that also had like a meanness to it where it was like yep. "Ooh, i'm not i don't know how far they're gonna take this 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 definitely has a meanness as well but okay. it it feels like a very sanitized tame, gotcha. like a very tame one sure. yeah okay interesting yeah that's all i have that's i literally have wow. nothing Wow. I didn't watch anything. Okay, I have a really small list too, and I don't remember why. Um, but for whatever reason, I do. So let's see. Uh, I watched. Okay, so I think I I talked to you about it because I was trying. We were trying. We were trying to figure out what we were going to watch this time. I'm like, oh, let me see what I have from Netflix because I I still get a disc from Netflix because I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> and I look at this movie. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. Running scared. It was like some action movie. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, Vera Farmiga's in it. So I guess that's why I rented it, but I had no memory whatsoever of putting it on my queue. And then it dawned on me, I'm like, oh, you probably talked about it. Do you remember this movie, Running Scared with Paul Walker and Vera yes, Farmiga? Yes, yes, this yes, movie is... you... yes. 
I think you asked me when you got the disc why you have the disc. Yes, and you. I think and you I, were and like, yeah. talked about it. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I did watch that. <laughs> you must have. It must have been you. Um, I blame you for this. It's. It was. I didn't think it was good. This is a movie that is trying so fucking hard. Uh, it's sort of like, and again, how I kept saying this about like a bunch of horror movies I've been watching that feels like they should have been made 10 years ago. This movie feels like it should have been made in the late nineties post, cause it feels so post Tarantino. Ooh, I'm going to make a super violent action movie, but I'm going to have this like dark sense of humor about it. And it's going to be wacky. Uh, <laughs> and it is, I hate wacky but shit. it's not very good uh, because Cameron Bright is in this. <laughs> Who keeps coming up yes, in our yes, lives? Yes, will not stop being nope, he's ever present. Always there. Ever present. Uh, so this is the weirdest movie. Like this movie's really, really weird. So Paul Walker is a like low-level gangster, and his son's best friend is Cameron Bright across the street, and Cameron Bright shoots his Russian abusive dad, and then it turns into this like zany night of trying to find the gun because the gun also killed a cop. But meanwhile, Vera Farmiga gets, like, sidetracked and has to go save Cameron Bright from these two child molester murderers played by Elizabeth Mitchell. Do you ever remember that, that subplot? Not really. None of this sounds familiar. There's, like, a random Law & Order SVU subplot where Cameron Bright gets kidnapped by this, like, seemingly very perfect couple who take him to their apartment and the apartment's like weirdly like weirdly child friendly and it's clear that they're probably kidnapping kids and filming them and then murdering okay, them. Okay, that that sounds kind of familiar. But like it has nothing to do with anything else. Oh man, this this movie I I'm talking it up as if everybody should see it. You really shouldn't. It's not very good, but it's really weird and it's trying very hard. So uh, the fact that you forgot it, I feel like, is a personal mm-hmm. affront to the director. I would like to go back in time and hear what I had to say about it to make oh, you put it on your list. Yeah, if any really, really savvy listeners out there pay really close attention and remember Christine talking about this movie, um, please, pl- please. I might have said that I loved it. I feel like you I probably did. Because it. it's so weird and like... Like, Paul, I've never, I know, look, I know he's dead, so I know we're supposed to talk really nice about him, but I, I never thought Paul Walker was that good an actor. I just thought he was a good-looking guy who wasn't my type. Yeah. And this movie feels like this was his, like, him doing his, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson Pulp Fiction thing. Like, he's he's got a, you know, kind of a, like, everybody in this movie has a terrible New York accent, including Vera Farmiga. Mm, that uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's terrible. Uh, and yeah, everybody either has a bad New York accent or is Russian. I think this movie was filmed probably in like Bulgaria or something like that. It is so not good. It is trying so hard to be something crazy. Um, and I don't think I'll forget it, although it does have a very generic title. So I, that could change. I might be wrong. But yeah, running scared, everybody. Tell us what you think of it. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, then a few things on Amazon Prime. So in my usual, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to watch a, you know, some pro- a horror movie that nobody's ever heard of with a high concept. Uh, this was Inhuman Resources. 
so this was a <laughs> that doesn't right? sound familiar at all it's <laughs> no, a good title right and like the poster is like you know somebody being killed under a desk in an office and you and i both really like office horror or like yeah. want to want there to be more office horror so this is a fangoria production which kind of worried me um and then i saw tom savini's name in the credits i was like oh no that means he's going to show up on screen without a shirt and he does because it's what he does in movies now but that aside, this was kind of a pleasant surprise because I thought this was just going to be crap and it starts out as if it's going to be crap. Uh, but it's it's not bad. It's about um, a bunch of people who were responsible one way or another for for catching a serial killer and sending him to jail. And the serial killer is played by Nicholas Hope from Bad Boy Bubby. So mm-hmm. that was exciting. Uh, so he has collected you know, the defense attorney and the eyewitnesses and the judge, like all the people that sent him to jail, basically. And he is chained them up in this office and is making them do like office tasks to prove his, his innocence. So again, it's another kind of Saw-esque high concept killer who, you know, really has figured out how to <sighs> I do hate some that. engineering. The thing about this that worked is that it finds a really surprisingly good tone where it's not, I wouldn't call it a horror comedy, but it kind of understands it's not going to be really scary. It does, like, early on, like, one of the first things it does is, like, a fingernail pull, and you're like, oh, here we go, you're trying so hard to be gross. But then it kind of backs away from that, and it becomes kind of more about, like, you know, kind of the characters, and mm-hmm. it has it has kind of, like, a black humor-ness to it, but it's not an all-out comedy. So I ended up liking it. I liked the lead actress. I thought, like, she was spunky and worth rooting for um i don't know understand why they didn't just let them all be australian because clearly every actor is trying to cover up their australian accent and none mm. of them can so i that don't can know, be distracting i don't know why they didn't just set the movie in australia i think they have offices in australia maybe i'm wrong uh so it's like it's not a re- it's not a real recommend but it's it's not bad for what it is yeah uh, also on Amazon Prime, I watched a movie, uh, one of those movies that, like, I saw the cast and I saw the description. I'm like, oh, this sounds like something that I want. And then very quickly in the opening credits, I was like, whoa, there's so much going on here that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Jungle with Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, okay. I don't. I haven't watched it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. So um, as soon as it starts i see the credits and i see directed by greg mclean from wolf creek i was like oh "Oh, okay oh my okay i didn't know he was going to be directing this that's interesting and then i see the thing that i okay i don't know if you do this too um there are five words that i hate seeing as a tagline for a movie do you know what those five words are christine i have no idea based on a true story hate it hate it why do you hate it um it's hard to articulate because mm-hmm. saying it's not usually good <laughs> is is very dismissive and and kind of sounds like I'm not actually making a point. Right. It's like but, when somebody's like remakes suck. Yeah. But like I would say in my experience mm-hmm. historically based on a true story is kind of a cop out for we're going to do something that you Boring. might not like. <laughs> Yeah. Here you go. It's based on a true story, though. Right. So, it, so you have either... to kind of like it because, whoa, this shit really happened. Exactly. It's kind yeah. of like a, whoa, you have to believe this yes. 
ridiculous premise or weird storytelling or strange way we chose to present it because it's based on based something on that story. actually happened. Yeah. Also, based on something that actually happened can be very misleading, and sure. I don't particularly enjoy that because it could be about something a guy said once. Right. Well, my my favorite like subheading of that is inspired by real events. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like every everything that's ever is, happened is inspired by real events. I feel like it's used. It's used to prop something up, yes. and that and it's to, for that for that reason, it doesn't feel like it's a very good, good sign for me. Yeah, like oh, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> and for me, there's a few few more things I hate about it. One is okay, so I'm pretty sure somebody, probably the main character, is gonna live. Yeah, like, that's it's true. It's an instant spoiler when you're watching something because you're like, okay, other, either I I. You know, either I have to like suspend reality and say, "Oh, maybe they find a journal or something," or I have to know, okay, this character that's going through hell and keeps facing death in really dramatic ways. But if he didn't live, then how do we know the true story? So I guess it's based on his experience. So he probably lived. So that mm-hmm. always bothers me. Um, in any movie that like involves anything supernatural, which this doesn't but it's still like grand it's always a okay so i know nothing that crazy is going to happen because if it's that crazy then you're not really saying based on a true story you know so it's it's just like one of those like uh okay so you're kind of telling me to temper my expectations but that i should respect it more because it's based on reality uh so the other crazy thing that happened as i'm watching this movie was halfway through it i kind of thought like you know, I feel like I know this story. It reminds me a lot of, and then the movie ends, and then I look it up, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally watched um, like a one-hour show on Discovery Channel called I Shouldn't Be Alive. Like, Mm -hmm. ten years ago at the gym, I watched this episode, and I saw this entire story. Is that what it's based on? Well, yeah, it's based on the same case. It's this guy who, in 1980, is a backpacker from Israel, uh, ends up meeting up, like becoming, you know, kind of befriending a couple of other backpackers, and they find this uh, guide of sorts in South America who says, hey, I'll take you deep into the Amazon to spots that you that nobody ever sees. I'm, I know how to navigate. Let's go. So they go. And, of course, they get lost. One of the guys gets hurt. So they split up, and the guide takes the guy that's hurt and he's like okay we're gonna hike back and the other two we're gonna white water raft back and then they get separated and then it's daniel radcliffe like trying to you know outmaneuver snakes and you know fending for his life and eating eggs and whatever else he finds and trying not to die in the jungle mm-hmm. so was it good? I don't know. It was no. It was Was the was the episode of that show good? Yeah, I remember really liking the episode of the show. And I don't know that which was I mean, I again, I remembered the show probably more than I'll remember the movie. The thing about the movie. So Daniel Radcliffe is great. Like he really I I'm proud of him. Like it's it's always nice to see a child actor kind of um you know, grow up well and kind of take chances. The shame of this movie is a few things. One is that you're watching it and you're like, oh, Daniel Radcliffe, like, you must have really worked hard for this movie. Like, it looks like he probably lost, like, 40 pounds and, like, really physically put himself through shit for it. And then you're like, yeah, you know, that was good of you, (laughs) but I don't know that you really had to because the movie's not really good enough to have warranted that. So there's that aspect. Um... Anything that starts with, yeah, yeah you, know. you know, 
And, like, on one hand, like, hey, it's great. It looks really good. I don't know where they filmed it, but jungles are cool. You know, close-ups of tarantulas are pretty cool. Um, I like a, a nice guy getting stuck in the rapids trying not to go over a waterfall scene. Sure, like, that's who doesn't? Fun. But, and, like, the shame is that it's just not put together correctly. Like, if the whole thing is done from uh, Daniel Radcliffe's point of view, where he's now lost in the woods and... It's just him. Okay, I'm kind of into that. And then right when it's getting really intense, all of a sudden we cut to the other guy who made it out, who's trying to get help, but nobody believes him. You're like, okay, so you just took all the tension away from the main story that I'm watching. It does a lot of those like, oh, you're so close kind of moments. Um, There's some weird fantasy stuff that just tonally doesn't really fit with anything. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's odd. And, you know, it's nice to see Greg McLean, like, do other things because I'm sure he probably wanted to try something that wasn't pure horror maybe um, but I kind of like if this was a horror movie and not based on a true story yeah could have been pretty badass it sounds like it it has more natural j- genre leaning yeah like it it could have been pretty badass if this was actually him like hiding from cougars and all that stuff but it's okay I don't know like, I, you know, like it just, and at key moments, suddenly it cuts back to, like, you know, him leaving his father's home and, like, all this stuff where, uh, I don't know, it just breaks the tension. Uh, yeah, I just, the more I think about it, the more unhappy I am with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I'm curious if anybody else watched it and, like, felt as let down as I did. Uh, but yeah, And then, like, the, it ends, and... This is, I won't spoil it, because there is kind of, not a twist, but, like, one other big plot point that I remembered from that I shouldn't be alive episode. And you get there, and you're like, wow, that would have made for a great movie. Why didn't you tell me that story, either with this or separately? And so, I don't know. Just, like I said, the more, now I suddenly hate it, the more I'm talking about (laughs) You talked yourself out of it. I did. That was weird. (laughs) Okay, but next is uh, a movie I did not hate at all, and I know you're a fan of this. Oh, what? Spy. Spy? What's... Oh, my God! Spy is so fun! It's so fun! Yeah! It's really fun! It's so much fun! Um, I don't know what I became a Melissa McCarthy super fan, but I am. Nothing wrong with that. I am, too. No, I, I, I've... I've, I mean, I've loved her since... I've, I've always loved her. I've loved her since Bridesmaids. I don't... You know, haven't seen everything she's done. Um, and I'm somebody that loves the new Ghostbusters. I know yep. it's controversial, but... What, what I, one of the really pleasant surprises of Spy was that it does not fall into the trap that most of its fellow movies do, which is that, like, oh, hey, we just kept the cameras rolling and everybody's so good at improv that the scene goes on oh, 10 minutes longer I than that. Oh, I hate that yeah. so and much. It, like, it does happen in Ghostbusters. I will concede that. But it doesn't happen in Spy. Like, this is tight. This is delightful. There's, there's jokes that get delivered jokes, and land. Yeah, they and land, they move, move on. on. There's yep. great repeat gags and setups uh-huh. that pay off it's throughout fuck, the whole Somebody thing. fucking wrote a funny movie, movie and they performed yeah. a funny movie. That's exactly it. No, that, I think that's exactly it. They wrote a good movie and they trusted that. Um, and it's also like the, the thing that I think I had been worried about with this movie was oh, I wonder, like, okay, how many fat jokes do they make? How, like, how do they embarrass Melissa McCarthy? And they don't. Like, nope. they, they treat it as, like, there's a running joke of how, like, yeah, she keeps getting saddled with having to play a cat lady and having to play yep. this. But it makes perfect sense in the movie. And, like, 
she is commenting on how fucked up it is. And so it's actually really empowering. Um, it's it's a fucking delight, and I'm so glad I finally watched it. Brandon loved it as well. So Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. You know, if you like comedies that are actually written jokes, I, I'm not against improvising, but I know exactly what you mean. You really need to see Date Night, Game Night. Oh, Why do I yes. always call it Date Night? Game <laughs> Night... <laughs> Game nights like that too. Like there's actual jokes. I remember you saying that? Yeah. That if they you laugh and then it's another joke and yep. you, like it's not it's not like an endless setup that doesn't really pay off well. Yeah. It's not like oh hey we have a bunch of really great comedians hanging out so we're just gonna let them riff for a while and yep. put a lot of it in a movie. Like yeah no I do need to see game night when it when I it don't hits, know why uh... I call it date night every time. <laughs> hey for some people game night is a date night okay That's and you true. Don't, you should not judge them. Thank you. Um, side note, Jeopardy aired its last episode until uh, September. So this is really upsetting for me. Now I have to find a new um, thing to sit down and have dinner with Brandon with for 20 minutes. It's it's a big part of our lives, and we're a little sad about that. But I didn't know that it took little breaks like well, that. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I guess it, goes, it makes yeah, sense. I have to. Yeah, yeah. They went pretty deep, though, this summer. Like, it's <laughs> the end of July. But... Oh, well. All right, and the last thing I watched was the documentary on HBO, Robin Williams, Come Inside My Mind. Mm-hmm. This is the documentary about Robin Williams. Um, it's, I mean, if you're, you know, if you were interested in Robin Williams, if you were a fan of his, uh, this is just a kind of nice, kind of uh, subdued look at him and interview with people that knew him and some clips and such of him and different there's a really great outtake from Sesame Street that has mm-hmm. made me very happy. Uh, so that's a delight. Um, there, I mean, there's nothing revolutionary in this. It's it's sad, but it's not... Um, I don't know. I, I think it's... It, it doesn't just beat you over the head with, oh my god, this man was so sad. It's really not about that. It's about this, this is why he was able to do what he did. Um, these are some of the more unfortunate turns his health took towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's worth a watch. I think it was, you know, uh, didn't, didn't destroy me. Didn't, um, you know, blow my mind. It was just respectful in a sense, I guess. Uh, yeah. And I guess that's everything I've watched other than glow season two, which is amazing. And everybody should get on it. I'll get there eventually. I know. I'm Probably. excited for you too. Cause season two, like, goes to some really interesting places and I look forward to you uh, you know doing that so yeah thanks I'm looking forward to watching it excellent on that note now let us take a break and what are you thinking Uh, don't look now chronologically or are you feeling some deep red Uh, this might be controversial (gasps) but let's do deep red first look at you look at I am proud of you I have pride in me for you because you made a decision. I know I'm really hesitate. No, this is this is really good. I'm I'm I'm, I feel like we're in a good place. Like I think this is a good step for us. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Now on that note, we're gonna take a break, and I am going to go wind up my uh, tuxedo dummy, and we're gonna talk about deep red.
1975, Deep Red, Profundo Rossi, Rossi Profundo, something like that. Yes. Now, you had seen this movie before, is that correct? Yes, I, but I watched it all, I watched a bunch of um, Argento at the same time, mm-hmm. which I don't necessarily recommend, because they all start to blend together. Oh yes, very much. Uh, this, where does this, I'm trying to look now where it kind of falls in his filmography. Uh, it is after, I guess, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, Cat of Nine Tails, Four Flies in Grey Velvet, uh, then this, then Suspiria, then Inferno, then Tenebrae. So it's kind of right in the middle, right of the start, I guess, of his kind of full out, um, star status as a director. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other question that I meant to kind of figure out before watching, but then I just got lazy and didn't. Did you ever have experience with the different cuts and different versions of this movie? No. Okay. Because I, this had been on my list of shame forever. This was, anytime there's one of those like 100 cult movies to see, 100 essential horror movies, I always get like 98 of them. Oh yeah, I've yeah. seen, I've seen, I've seen. And then this was always one that like broke my score because I just never watched it. And the reason I never watched it was because I, I had it on one of those Mill Creek packs. And I think it's like an 80 minute cut or it's something where it's probably you know, chopped and pasted and looks mm-hmm. like crap. And so I remember almost watching it and like getting like really, really seriously warned of like, no, 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 make sure you watch a good version of it. So I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'll never watch it. And that's kind of how I lived my life for the last 36 years. Uh, and then on Amazon Prime, there is a, I don't know if it's the full version. There, The version I watched, is that the same one you watched? I watched the one on Prime, yeah. Yeah, I think it's an hour 44. So I'm guessing there is still an extended cut out there because mm-hmm. I kept when I was kind of reading like some trivia on it I kept seeing things about dogs and I'm thinking there were no dogs in the cut I watched mm-hmm. right no dogs definitely not yeah sorry so, I had just taken a sip of that's water okay so <laughs> you know for everybody to know Christine and I watched the standard, dogless version. the dogless version uh the standard version the version that's on prime which I think is I don't. I don't even know if that's the direct. If the director's cut, quote unquote, is an elongated version. Um, I know. You know, there are like everything. There's people that say don't watch the longer version, watch the shorter version, don't watch the shorter version, all that stuff. But this is where we are. So me had never seen it. Me had seen some of the images from it in many places. Obviously, the dummy in question is a site that you know I've, I'm well familiar with. Many, many a Facebook and Twitter friend has used that as their avatar. Uh, and the music also is. I mean, it's it's a goblin, and it sounds like a lot of other goblin or gento scores, but it also is definitely music that I've seen used in different specials and different things. So there was a sense of familiarity about it. Um, I'm sure you're in the same boat as me, where we would say uh, you kind of can't fully talk about the whole thing without oh, spoiling. Yeah. Um, we can try for a little bit to avoid that, and then when we're ready to, we'll give everybody a warning. But know that we are at some point going to talk about the details because it's a giallo, it's a mystery. Yeah. The solution to that mystery is a key part of the movie. So, with that being said, uh, Christine, let me hear a spoiler-free synopsis. <sighs> okay. So there is a psychic lady mm-hmm. who is psychicking it up. 
Oh, yeah. Some kind of psychic show-off. Yes, a very scanners-y, show-off-y. She's like, psychicking! And (laughs) she's like, I'm sensing psychic stuff that's bad! And then, like, she gets upset because there's somebody with, like, that did bad stuff and is thinking about bad stuff in the audience watching the psychic stuff. And then that person gets up and leaves. I, which I thought was not a good idea because like it, uh, draw obviously. attention to yourself much yeah just calm down nobody yeah. knows it's you right. just she's crazy uh, <laughs> just sit there looking at the person next to you being like yo dude this is weird right yeah whoa whoa Everybody. yeah she's looking at you huh that's weird <laughs> so it's what you do that, when you fart right same 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 etiquette that lady inevitably that psychic lady whose name I believe was Helga Ullman for some <laughs> I reason hope so. I hope I remember everybody's name in this. Um, she gets killed, Giallo style, mm-hmm. in an apartment with a lot of interesting artwork. Um, Giallo style. A guy hears her getting killed. What is his job? A pianist. He's a pianist. He is a pianist. Um, he hears slash sees her getting killed, goes into the apartment sees her dead body and then proceeds to investigate the crime himself. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting. It's yeah. an interesting choice. He is a penist. Um, he has help from a lady journalist whose name I don't remember, but this penist's name is Marco for some reason that I remember. Uh, yes, and he also... her name is, I think, Gianna. Ooh, and it, that she sounds is, right. She is played by Daria Nicolodi who um, was a partner of Dario Argento for a long time. She is our Asia Argento's mother, and she is wonderful. She's maybe the best thing about yes, this movie. I adore her. But I won't get into that just yet. Um, there's some giallo shit. There <laughs> is a never-ending scene of a man scaling a building. Um, some, <laughs> that scene does go on for a long time. Goes on for a real long time. Um, there's mysteries and children singing yeah. and this weird house and there's dolls, stabbing. there's birds. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's then some very th- aggressive music by Goblin. Which, oh boy. So then you get the reveal and the movie ends. <laughs> and um, pretty much. That's what happens. Um, at one point, I think, I obviously, I like Suspiria. Um, it's been a while since I've seen Suspiria, but I like Suspiria, and I think it's because I like the subject matter. You know, like it's about witches. Ballet, yeah. Uh, yep, and the ballet specifically. But um, <laughs> I think that's why I like it. And it, it is very pretty. That movie is very pretty. Yes. Um, at one point, other than Suspiria, take Suspiria out of the picture, I probably would have said to you, oh, Deep Red is my favorite Argento movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, did I see a different cut? Maybe I did. Mm. Was it just the best of a series of movies I didn't really care for? I have long said that I'm not a huge Giallo fan. I am not. Boy, was this movie not for me at all. Hmm. It felt clunky. I'm I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> Amateur, amateurish. It it was just just really just not why 
<laughs> why are you doing this? I like I like the New York Ripper is a movie that I like. That's a movie that I like. That's a movie that exists. It's a movie. It's a giallo. It's it's not a uh, Dario Argento giallo, but no, it's but a like, giallo. I I do like a giallo. There's yeah. a giallo that I like, so I'm capable of liking things, everyone. And I know that Argento is is an auteur, and I know there's people that will say that he's like their favorite director and stuff. Yep. I'm very very sorry. <laughs> I I did not like this movie at all. I have almost nothing nice to say about it. My okay, unrelated but unrelated question: Have you seen Don't Torture a Duckling? No, I have not. See, I always go back to that when I when I think about Giallo and talk about Giallo because I am now I liked this movie much more than you did. I think I did enjoy it a lot. I but but had I watched this movie, I think five years ago, I think I would have. Maybe not hated it, but I would have really walked out of it saying, I don't get why anybody talks about it passionately. Mm-hmm. Because part of it is, I think a lot of our film community, and you probably had a lot of this from the magazine days too, people fucking love Giallo. Yep. Right? Like our yep. peers, our movie friends fucking love Giallo. They do. And I don't get it. I kind of get it. I mean, I hey, look, boobs, black gloves. What's the last thing? Blood. 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 Boobs. Black gloves. Hey, I like all these things. They're fine. Um, there's. <laughs> there, yes. Sure. Sure. Hey. I get, yeah. I get, yeah. There's all right. certain things. I mean, I don't. I take Suspiria out of the equation because Suspiria to me is not a giallo at all. It just I, happens to be I done by a director who I, who, at who that, does yeah, 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 and at that time was primarily making them. Um, I, I I agree with you. I just feel like when I say things like this felt amateurish and clunky and yeah. like it was made by somebody who maybe didn't have a, the best grasp on what they were doing, I need to tell <laughs> you that I have seen a movie that he does good things in. Right. And that movie exists. So it's, I don't well, think that he's inept. I don't think that he's inept. But that's the weird thing about Argento. You know, everybody kind of laments how, you know, he's still been, he's been making movies the last, uh, what, the last, like, 20 years of his film. So Mother of Tears and the movie Giallo and Dracula 3D oh, and Phantom of the Opera. so bad. Where, you know, people just rail about it of like, oh, it's like when Romero did Survival of the Dead. It's just so sad to see a director who's lost his touch. But honestly... Is it that he lost his touch, or is it that the style, the weird things, and the clunky things, and the awkward, you know, I mean, these movies, are, we're watching them dubbed, there's this, mm-hmm. like, absolute oddness over them, that it works for a movie from 1982, because we're watching it, you know, thinking of it as nostalgic, and not, I, I'm saying forgiving, but I don't even mean forgiving, like, oh, we're looking past its flaws, and the you know, the aggressive music, like, no, we're looking at it more as a style thing, which we are. And, and I think Deep Red, again, for me, worked as like, I walk into it thinking, all right, I know I'm not going to get sucked into it. I'm pro- or rather, I'm probably not going to get sucked into this mystery. I'm going to be watching it at a distance because that's what I tend to find, particularly Argento Giallo. Whereas mm-hmm. the reason I bring up Don't, Don't Torture a Duckling my problem with Giallo for a long time, and the reason I really was sour on it, kind of right, even like kind of right when I started listening to podcasts, was when prior to that, even me having grown up with horror and grown up, you know, a kid at the 80s video stores, I didn't, for whatever reason, didn't really watch much Giallo then. 
I remember renting Phenomena because I remember the poster. Mm-hmm. But that, even that, that's not really a Jalo. Um, I just did not. Most of these like Argento films, I hadn't really seen as a kid. So coming into it as an adult, when suddenly I have okay a different like understanding of genre film and appreciation of it. And hearing all of our podcasting friends rail about how great Giallo is and me watching Giallo after Giallo and being like, I I do not get the appeal. They're plotting mysteries that are so typically um, self-confused because they have to give you this crazy mystery. They have to tie you in knots to then give you a reveal that either by the time you get there, you know who the killer is because there's nobody Mm -hmm. left or it just doesn't make sense. It comes out of left field because they didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. Then I look at some, and so for the longest time, I just kind of was like, I, it's just a genre, not for me. It's like, you know, kind of when I think of Westerns or other things like that. But then I go to Don't Torture a Duckling, which is a pure giallo and is directed by, I think, Fulci, which, and it's weird because yep. it's Fulci who was not a great director, but I think this is actually a great, like the best of that genre because it, it's it there is a mystery the mystery is interesting and then the reveal of the mystery makes so much sense and puts the whole movie in context where it becomes about these deep themes about catholicism and religion and faith and all this other stuff where you're like oh you were actually making a movie and investing thematically in it whereas most of these movies in deep red i would include like you were just doing some cool style things and then like threw in whatever kind of wacky twist you could fit in there at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of where I come from with Giallo. Uh, I'm sim- similar. Yeah. I, I, it was an extremely underrepresented genre. I never watched it. And then it was like, well, I need to watch these things. And it, <sighs> yeah. I wonder too, <laughs> and here, here's again, it makes like, me so tired. Like, kind of an open question to a lot of our listeners: Is it a is it a male female thing? Like, I don't know. I can't. I don't know many other women who ever talk about Giallo the way a lot of my male film friends do. Well, the the arguably the foremost Argento scholar is Maitland McDonough. True. Very true. Like it's a it's a broad, a yeah, yeah, very yeah. smart, sassy oh, yeah. broad yes. who I love, um, and I've read what is it, Broken Mirror, Broken Dreams? Mm-hmm. I think that's what hers is. She's her like her, and I think I've said this before. Her writings on Argento are better than, than <laughs> actually watching yeah. it. Like I'd rather read her having written about these movies yeah. as opposed to sit and watch them. I feel the way about I believe mutual friend James Gracie who yep. also wrote an Argento book. And I would rather he's so poetic and so beautiful and yeah. picks out these wonderful, insightful things that I I don't get that. So I would just rather read their these people's yeah. thoughts on it because I'm not having that experience. I'm not either. And it's not that I'm not fully enjoying it because I just watched an Argento film not that long ago. I think I just watched Four Flies on Grey Velvet. And I, I can tell you nothing about that movie. Yeah, I can't remember it. I it's remember been a while, but I can't remember nothing. it. I think I remember who the killer was. Uh, maybe. Um, Tenebrae is probably the other one that I think a lot of people point to to say, oh, no, this is saying something, this is exploring something. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, but I think Don't Torture a Duckling does it better. <laughs> Just in terms of it being about like sexuality and guilt and all that and mm-hmm. shame. I think Tenebrae has a lot of that in it. So I think Tenebrae is probably a little more, um, a little deeper, I guess, 
Whereas, <laughs> what a pun, Deep Red, I don't know that there's any themes going on. I'm, I was entertained by it, but to me it was, like, it was a weird watch where I couldn't, I wasn't scared, I wasn't invested. I kind of got to a point where I'm like, okay, that's a killer. Okay, that's a killer. Okay, I guess it's gotta be, well, it can't be that person because of this. Oh no, okay, that makes sense. Okay, oh, there's a dummy. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, the dummy's, the dummy's not great. in it enough. Oh god, no, no. <laughs> And it just comes out of nowhere too, which is pretty sweet. And that's it's it's great, but like more more of that shit, please. Yeah. Well, and twenty apparent... minutes of a dude scaling up. I mean, I guess you got to do to do that stunt, so you got to show it. But... <laughs> well, Jeez. I didn't even think about that. That's another um, link to Don't Look Now. Is again a man <laughs> hanging from a building and for a very long time that goes yes. on for kind of a really long time in both of them. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I would say, I think, without. Uh, Gianna, without Daria uh, Nicolodi, I think this would have been um, incredibly less enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. And I do. I wish she was in it more. She, uh, her, and Carlo are two characters that I enjoy in this. Yes. I think part of the problem is I don't like our main protagonist, which would be Marco. He's just really. I don't. I don't get it. Like, I don't get him. I get, like, you were kind of saying it in the description, like, he's a pianist, and I guess he's also investigating this murder of this woman that he said hello to occasionally because she lived upstairs from him. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. They give no, aside from us knowing the police in these movies are apparently terrible because they can't shoot a target two feet in front of them, mm-hmm. uh, it makes no sense for this man to be so invested in this case. And the movie doesn't do anything to give us, oh, it's because he's got this, like, backstory. It's because he's bored. It's because he really loves danger. Like, no, there's kind of nothing there. He's just this bland white guy who's kind of like, all right, I guess I'm the hero of the movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas Gianna is just a feisty reporter who's adorable and sassy, and I want a movie about her. Yeah. Uh... And also, Carlo, and something, one thing I will give credit to Argento for, because I think he also has a gay character in, maybe it's Tenebrae, um, definitely, think for Four Flies and Grey Velvet, he kind of always had, or often has, gay characters in his movies, and it's not, it's handled shockingly well for Italy in the 1980s. And so, Carlo... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we kind of, like... See, okay, he's gay. He seems to be not fully out. You understand why. It's 1982 mm-hmm. or whatever it is. 75. Um, but it actually handles it well. And it doesn't make a thing of it. And it's sh- kind of shockingly normal, which is really nice to see. So I think that is one, like, you know, strength of this, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, I guess the... <laughs> murders the inspiration for the murders which i did find interesting is that basically they uh it was i think it was both argento and his writers uh, decided they wanted the deaths to all be things that a person like a normal person could identify with or feel like as opposed to getting shot or getting stabbed which most of us have never gone through um whereas we've all touched really hot water or, yep. you know, knocked our face on a wall or, like, things like that so that the death scenes are supposed to, you know, kind of hit you harder because you can kind of identify with that feeling. Mm-hmm. 
it's a cool idea. I mean, I didn't really wince at all in any of the death scenes because of the style of them. They're kind of so over the top. Yeah, I I didn't. A lot of that stuff didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's a there's a part where. Like, I think she throws herself at the floor and is just <laughs> reaching for the door. Like, you could just go, get out of the door, man. <laughs> and I don't want to be like that. I don't want right. to be like, come on, figure it out. Because I don't yeah. know, I'm not being chased by a murderer. Like, but and like in Suspiria, you can suspend that because there's so much else going on. And I think the tone and the atmosphere is so elevated that you're not bothered by, like, those little logic leaps of, no, 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 just turn the doorknob. Don't keep pushing it. But in this one where it's not taking me to that place, yeah, there's a lot of, dude, mm-hmm. just, why are you still investigating? Yeah. It's, 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 we, I think the plot itself is a little bit windy and confusing. Yes. And I wish that there had been more of a reason for Marco to be doing all this oh, yes. other than just his, cur- his curiosity driving him. Because, why couldn't it have just? Well, I guess. I guess it's because why, it was the seventies. Why, why couldn't, couldn't it just, it be just a cop? been? Or why couldn't it just been the reporter? Like, yeah, I chasing a story or something. Or like, I don't know. Uh, I there were interesting things there, I guess. But like, it really just seemed like anything that pushed the plot, they just kept stumbling onto. Yes. Like, oh, I I remember reading in this book that there was this house that. <laughs> There had this music coming out of it. Oh, go find the book. Oh, well, you found the book. Go find the place. Oh, it's at the place. Like, oh, boy. Yeah. No, no, no. And again, in other movies, that wouldn't bother me. And in this one, it didn't bother me that much because I approached this immediately of, okay, I know exactly where the line of realism and expectation is, and it's we're stepping mm-hmm. over it this much. But yes, I mean, it's funny because I don't know if you and like Zach have that same thing with movies where I am used to these kinds of movies. I'm used to low budget, imperfect, flawed movies that kind of age weirdly, but there's a beauty in them, all this. And my husband is much less so. Like he just, he comes from a different background. Um, There are some movies I can show to him and we can, you know, we can click and then there's others and in this case i know if i'd shown this to him it would have just been eye rolling and yeah. constant like okay you know what do i really need to watch the whole thing because i think it's just those leaps in logic and such that you know just don't work if you're not accepting of what kind of world these giallos are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so do you want <laughs> I, to i completely agree yeah uh, did you watch it with Zach, or you watched it alone? No, I watched it. I watched it with Zach. I think we're. I think at this point we're kind of done with uh, Giallo's. Yeah, <laughs> we had watched. We'd watched um, Tenebrae with some friends. I, this is back when we were in Austin, so a while um, now, and um, he didn't really seem too impressed with that yeah. one. And I'd say Tenebrae is on the better side. I, I think and, Tenebrae is a better film. And yeah. if, you, if that still doesn't work for you, then nothing, I don't think any other Argento, aside from maybe Suspiria, is going to work for you. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I kind of came into this one thinking like, oh, this is a this is a better one. Hey, this yeah. one's going to be good. And then I was like, oh. 
I mean, there are people that I think I think Will from Gentleman's Guide. I think this is like one of his favorites of all time. There are people that love this one. Yeah. And I again, like I, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it. I actually enjoyed watching it well enough. But I could never fathom putting this on my own list of like essential viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've talked enough for people to know. Like I sort of, I feel like you should watch it if you haven't seen it, but go in with very measured expectation. Uh, do you want to talk about the reveal and the killer? Because otherwise, you know, we kind of haven't really talked about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they do a fake out reveal. Yeah. So spoiler alert, uh, everybody. The fake out reveal is that Carlo comes in and Carlos, his, his friend that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. um, comes in and says like, it was me. Ha ha. ha." And then. And did you do what I did where as soon as he said that you're like, no, but you couldn't, but you were in the street when Hilda was being killed. Obviously I said, I said, it's not him. Yeah. And and not because I didn't, I, I mean, I think I remember that there was a second reveal, but I was like, it wasn't him. Um, so he then dies a really, awful graphic <laughs> like almost com- comedic oh, it's hilarious i um i might have rewound that not gonna it, lie it just keeps going yeah it keeps going because the best thing is he's running away from 12 cops who are shooting at him yeah and they are two feet away from him and none of them hit him yeah but instead he gets hooked in by a truck and then just gets his body thrown every which way and it's amazing mm-hmm. And so he he dies, and I don't know how he finds out. I guess he goes back to the apartment. Oh, because he goes back to her apartment, uh, Marco does, because he's like, I missed something. Because he had said, you know, to the cops when they first found the body, like, mm. is there, did they take something? Is something different? So, like, there's always that hanging over, like, he, he knows something. He noticed something in the apartment. So he goes back to her apartment, and... um he realizes, which is actually maybe my favorite thing about the movie, he realizes that it wasn't a picture he thought he saw on yeah. the wall. It was a reflection of somebody in a mirror yes. making it look like like a picture hanging on the wall. And you can't catch it in the beginning, and it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah, I totally meant to go back and watch that scene and see it, but I forgot. Um, it's creepy looking. And then, so he realizes that and then, uh oh, Carlo wasn't the real killer. The real killer is in the apartment with him. And, and again, at this point, you're trying to think, okay, who's left? Okay. It's obviously his mom. It's Carlo's mom. Yes. Um, because she stabbed his dad in front of him. Well, we didn't talk about the opening scene, which is the other high point of the movie. (laughs) I love Uh, a... Christmas time, something happening in front of a child and that child growing up messed up motif that happens in a lot of these movies. Christmas uh-huh. Evil, um, every Silent Night, Deadly Night. And so you get that here where you just get like feet and you see a death and you see a Christmas tree and all that. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. she, Carlo's mom killed his dad because he wouldn't let her be an actress. Um, and <laughs> so that goes. I mean, it seems a little convoluted. No, I'm smidgen. But, like, it's fine. Yeah. I don't really even have that much of a problem with that part of it. I mean, I figure, because, again, I'm so conditioned with these movies where every character you meet, you're like, well, it's got to be him. It's got to be her. 
gotta be him. Yep. It's gonna be her. So for the first half, I'm like, oh, it's gotta be Gianna. That makes mm-hmm. the most sense. And I to- I thought that too for a yeah. second because, like I said, I, f- I forgot, and then I was like, well. But then they have people act shifty on purpose. Right. Oh, very much. And then when they even do a fake out reveal where it looks like it is her and then it's not. So then like mm-hmm. as it just keeps adding up, really like I'm watching and thinking, what characters are still left in this movie? Oh, right. The mother. Okay. It's probably her. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah, an urban legend fine. reveal where you're like, what? Yes. It's just like, yeah, all right. That's fine. Yeah. Give me some really aggressive jazz music and we're good. I, the music was really not. <laughs> uh, I, I like an aggressive jazzy score. I know you don't. And I understand it not working. Because the whole thing is it's so attention calling to itself that <clears throat> it's not like a mood enhancer, I guess, for many. Mm-hmm. I get that, but again, for me, where I'm approaching it as, like, this is an artificial movie done artificially, it's what I expect, and it works for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, uh, Deep Red. Was it red enough for you? No. Was it deep enough for you? <laughs> Not even <laughs> slightly. Um, yeah, I mean, sorry I didn't like this. It's, I mean, you're not, you don't have to apologize to me. Uh, I'm, you know, sorry I made you watch it, if, if that was a thing. No, I was thinking about watching it anyways. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I mean, what can I say? I didn't, I, I liked, I enjoyed it. I don't think it's great. Um, I, I do not fully understand its place in the canon as far as horror goes. But then mm-hmm. again, I am also, as I've said, not somebody that really understands the lore of Giallo. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but all right. So you got ready to rate it? Um, yeah, let's do it. I don't know. I'm going to have to fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> all right. So quality of film, I will go on that with a, and I, I hope this isn't sacrilege to people. Um, I don't know, 6.25. I was going to say 6.5. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a 6.25. Yeah. Uh, quality of life. 6.5. It's higher for me. And I think there's probably a lot in here that's important to other filmmakers and other personalities and such. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the dummy is, you know, I've seen it show up in places and seen allusions to it. Uh, so I'm going to go with quality of life. I'll go with a 7.25. That's, yeah. that's not bad. That's, yeah. that's good. I mean, it, it, this movie did teach me to never wear a big necklace if I'm going to be riding an elevator. <gasps> You'll get straight up to You will totally get decapitated. Yeah. Which, yeah, I think that's important to know. So on that note, I would say this is a important viewing for everyone out there. Uh, and if you so choose to, you can find it on Amazon Prime. And we invite all of you to come tell us how wrong we are over at the Facebook page. Correct? Yes. Okay. On that note, how about we take a quick break and come back and talk about Don't Look Now. Woo! Oh, this is the night. It's a beautiful night. 
And we call it Velanote Look at the skies They have stars in their eyes On this lovely Velanote Side by side with your loved one You'll find enchantment here The night will weave its magic spell When the one you love is near Oh, this is the night Now we step back two years to 1973 with Nicholas Rogue, Roig, I don't know. Roig, I believe, is what I say. Yeah, why not? Uh, I've been told I have a problem with diphthongs when two vowels are in a word Mm -hmm. and they have a different syllable that I don't say them. So Nicholas Roig, hear that, husband of mine? Anyway. Don't Look Now, 1973. Let's again, this is a movie that I'm pretty sure everybody... um, knows some of the twists if you're like me and you watched the uh scariest movie moments of all time that aired like 10 years ago (gasps) my favorite i used to watch that obsessively the only problem with that was it also gave away the twists of a few movies that i had it is it is i should have been more disciplined about that i don't think this movie is ruined by the fact that the the ending is so out there you know do when you saw it the first time, did you know the ending or no? I can't remember, but I think that I had seen some of the imagery. Yeah. So once the movie's on, you can kind of put two and two together. Because sure. I do feel like this is a movie. And again, we said this, this when it first came out, it was doing like double night midnight showings with Wicker Man. And that's another movie in that case where Wicker Man for me, one of the greatest movie experiences of my life was watching it the first time and having no idea where it was going or what it was doing. Oh, yeah, so I you, didn't either. When you get to the end, I was like, my jaw dropped because I never saw it coming. Uh, now, with, the, with Wicker Man, it's funny because there are certain cuts of that movie that do drop a lot of hints that I think would have really hurt my experience with it. But with Don't Look Now, I've, I've never been able to have that experience. And But I think you're right. I think it really doesn't really detract from the movie. In part, the movie's all about kind of knowing i mean we're saying this about hereditary too which is very indebted to this movie Mm -hmm. um it's very much about knowing where it's that you know you can't change things and so on and so Mm -hmm. on but i do kind of you know it's one of those movies and i always say this about fight club where you know fight club was robbed from me because somebody gave away the ending back when nobody knew what fight club was so i never got to have the experience with knowing whether i would have been surprised or figured it out and so don't look now, I kind of think like, oh man, what would it have been like to go into this movie knowing nothing and getting that and getting that ending, where would your head be at? And I, I don't know, but if any of our listeners had that experience, I'd be curious what that was like. Yeah, me too. So before we, or do you just want to say we're just going to spoil this one? because Yeah, we're going to spoil it. All right, guys, don't look now. It's Everybody should go see it if you haven't seen it already. We are going to talk about this in full detail. So with that said, Christine, give us as as detailed a synopsis as your heart desires to give us. Thank you. I will say, I would say that the end, because I know we've had this discussion before, is more of a reveal than a twist. 
Oh, yes. Yes. It is not a twist. It's a reveal. Yes. They don't hide it from you. They no. just, in the end, reveal what's yes. actually happening. Very much. Um, I watched this movie on a Criterion disc that I hadn't opened yet. <gasps> I'm very bad at acquiring physical media and not actually like i watched jennifer's body today i own that blu-ray but i streamed it <laughs> because i don't want to walk the, the six feet to the, the shelf Girl, to get the disc i have to unplug and plug my blu-ray player in anytime i want to watch it what a bummer. because my blu-ray player is haunted and will otherwise randomly turn on when i'm watching roku or cable mm-hmm. So, like, physical media is just a whole thing now for me, where I really have to consider, is this what I want to do with my life right now? So I understand. Mm-hmm. So I, I felt like this was a great opportunity to bust out that criterion. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this movie look this good. Ooh, nice. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I know that it's like, they even say it in the movie, about like shadows and it's dark, and yeah. but I've never seen the contrast. Ooh, like, it yeah. always just looked murky and muddy. And I thought that that was kind of intentional, but there are such vibrant colors in it that you really lose it on a bad print or yeah. an older print. Yeah, the version on Amazon I don't think is the best print. Uh, I'd be curious to flip through it and see. But, like, at the beginning it opens with, um, you know, a very important scene in the movie. I'm probably just going to call people by their actor names. So <laughs> Donald Sutherland runs out and he has this bad feeling that something's happening, runs out. Side and his daughter, who has my name, um, <laughs> is they say it a lot. Is dr- is in the water and has drowned, and he jumps in the water and pulls her out, but she's dead. Um, that scene was so bright, and I and I like I got choked up. I was yeah. like, I never realized how vibrant that scene is, and it's just really beautiful. And I think the fact that it's so beautiful, and the reds are so red, oh, and yeah. the water is so beautiful and clear, combined with like what awful How thing happens this is. yeah it really adds to it so so that happens um their daughter dies julie christie and donald sutherland's daughter dies and they then they're in venice and um donald sutherland has a job he's overseeing the restoration of a church i guess that's what architects did in the 80s in the 70s i mean he's doing something church mosaics Mm-hmm. statues he's doing that thing he so they're pretty Venice. confident about it so you know. i mean he knows what he's doing he everybody. totally does um him and julie christie are doing some stuff hanging around going to lunch um pretty quickly julie christie runs into this set of sisters who i love oh my god they're um, so great did you one know of the, did you know who the okay what? so the hillary mason plays the blind one the clairvoyant do you yeah, know what she, she was in? She looks just like my grandma. Oh, no, is she really? Yeah. Oh, she was in Dolls. Oh, really? She is the old lady in Dolls. Yeah. Oh, I, I got so excited because I've seen this movie a few times and I never realized that and it changed my life. That's so funny. I, I really like her because she sounds and looks a lot like my, my mom's mom. Oh. And so I have a, a real fondness sure. for her. Plus, she... So... I don't want to get ahead of myself. So they, she meets, she meets these two sisters. One of them's blind. Um, then the blind one has a second sight, and she says, "I can see your daughter." She's laughing. She's and she she's like laughing. seems chill and happy about yeah. it. So like Julie Christie's like, "Oh, Christine's here. She's okay," and like this whole big weight is lifted off of her. Yeah. Um, and then her and Donald Sutherland bone down in the longest. Yeah, they do. 
I've heard it described as uncomfortable, and I could see that, but I think it's a nice, intimate... It is a lovely... Realistic... It's fascinating. When you Google this movie, the first thing that will come up as you start typing the title is, don't look now, sex scene. Don't look now, sex scene real. And everything you can't read a single essay about this movie without somebody talking about the sex scene is so vivid and people think that they really had sex yeah and it's to me it's it's i mean granted now i've seen this a few times so maybe the first time i saw it maybe i thought differently but i feel like it's just it is a perfect sex scene it's it makes like you understand what it's doing for the characters and what they're doing and where they're at when they do it uh, it's cut beautifully where it is. It's sexy. These are two hot people, but yet they're real people. They're, you know, going out to dinner and they're married and they're older and all of these things. And it's like, it's kind of like, I um, like it, it's almost a shame that everybody has to like harp on. So are they really yeah. boning? It's like, no, they're actors. And this is a great director and a great editor. Mm-hmm. And they're putting together a really great scene that yeah. feels really real. Um, and Donald Sutherland, I read, um, I found a quote he gave about that, where he was talking about the sex scene, because of course, anybody talking about that movie asks him about the sex scene. And he's, and the way he said it was, it was a depiction of married intimacy. Uh, it's the scene where they make love is not voyeuristic. You don't watch people making love. What happens when you watch is that you remember having made love, having been in love yourself. Which I think yeah, is just a beautiful way of saying it. Like, yeah, there's something very about intimate that scene. And, yeah. yeah, and it and it clear. It's like a clear indication of what has changed for Julie Christie's yeah. character. Yep. Like she's now in a place where she's ready for that level of intimacy. Yeah. She can laugh and again. She can smile it's, again. It's very sweet. Yeah. But I mean, it is. It's it is it is sex, and sex is sure. kind of weird and like gross and like strange and bizarre and like okay that yeah that's what it is something too that i think is really key i think i mean we've all seen our fair share of sex scenes and typically a sex scene yes even other movies are also doing it more for character reasons than for you know audience titillation but at the same time like they don't, the camera isn't trying to linger on her breasts or on his no. ass or anything like that. Like, all of the shots are about the two of them. It's never about, oh, here's a great shot of her neck. Here's this. No, it's clearly framed as these are two people making love. Mm-hmm. Not that's a hot guy and that's a hot woman and you want to watch them get naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It, it, it's It's great. So... Things seem to be going well, like, mm-hmm. um, and then and then it's not. Nope, going well. Um, so the there's a lot of playing with our expectations and what what we what we think is going to happen. So um, there's a positioning of the sisters as like nefarious characters. Um, there's these weird flashes yeah. to them, like laughing oh my god i still don't understand what happens in that moment but it's so great it's like so are they lying to julie christie right are they frauds are they evil so they have the donald sutherland and julie christie have a son and he's away at school in england so they get a phone call 
saying he's injured and Julie Christie's like, okay, I need to go. Oh, BT dubs. Those sisters said that we need to get out of Venice. You specifically Donald Sutherland need to leave Venice. Why don't you come? And he's like, yeah, all right, maybe I'll come. You go first, go see how that kid's doing. Um, Great. Donald Sutherland's going to leave Venice. The ladies say you should leave Venice. The ladies leave their like kind of hostel like hotel situation Mm -hmm. Go to a nicer hotel, and that's framed really weird. Like, why did they do that? Yeah. What are they up to? Right, right. What's which their is, end game? Which is interesting. So Donald Sutherland's on a boat, as you do in Venice, and he sees his wife. I believe her name is Laura in this uh, movie, Julie no, Christie. Uh, is, it, is it Laura? Oh, I don't know. I, maybe yeah. I just made that. You're right. Up. No, you're right. Totally right. <laughs> yeah, I think no. because in my mind, I'm like, no, it's Julie. Right. Yeah. It's Julie, Julie Christie. Yeah. So she, he's, he sees on a passing boat his wife and the two sisters, and he loses his GD mind. Mm-hmm. He's like, she's not even supposed to be in this country. She left. She's with the son. I have to find what her. What are these women these sisters, doing? Yeah, these sisters are bad fucking news. They're lying to her. They can't see the daughter. Like, I need to go find her because what is happening? So he goes to the cops and there's this whole thing. We got to find the sisters and da-da-da-da. And that strange scene of him going to see the detective. Yes, it's so weird. It's framed weird. It's this giant office and he's sitting on a couch like six feet away from the desk and I think the actor playing the policeman I think didn't speak English so he's reading his lines phonetically so he doesn't like you can tell like it you don't notice it but what it's doing is the fact that the actor doesn't fully understand what he's saying gives it this weird off off-putting feeling of you don't understand why is he smiling does he believe it's super him? Does detached he him it's just yes. weird yeah it, it's got this detached feeling and and it, it's just strange and he does like um artist renderings of the sisters and right. like, like it's this whole weird fucking thing and then he goes to the um the religious dude whose church he's working on <laughs> his place and then like oh what happens Julie Christie calls him, and she's in England with the kid, and the kid's fine. Yep. Well, that, that's fucking weird. Why has he been running around looking for her? Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's super concerned because these old ladies seem bizarre. Also, just so you know, there's some crazy murders going on in Venice. Mm-hmm. It's it's very, I will say Hitchcockian a lot, probably. Oh, yeah. It's very Hitchcockian in the way it, it's presented. Like, it's there, but it's not in the forefront. Yep. Like, we know it's happening, but it's not really And we're really not paying talk. attention to it. Yeah, it's just there in the background. Yeah, and one so, of the things so that I had concerned. For- yeah. One of the things I had forgotten about this movie, watching it this time, was how not a horror movie it is. Because mm-hmm. even, like, we're talking about, yeah, there's murders going around. Uh, this time watching it, I had, like, almost glazed over that whole subplot because I was kind of looking at everything else. And so, yeah, like, you're there's a sense of dread. I mean, again, Hereditary was was very much modeled on this. That sense of dread, but there's also a part of me that's like, yeah, but it could be nothing. Yeah. And, and so, like, I guess you kind of understand 
why he's so worried. So there's obviously the text and the subtext. Mm. So he's so worried because he doesn't trust these women. They're clearly saying something outrageous. Like, we can see your dead daughter. And there's murders and stuff. And he knows he saw his wife. But also, he... I mean, I'm not going to say he let his kid die. But he has to feel responsible. And there's this guilt and this loss... That he's carrying, and yet he doesn't seem to be acknowledging any of it. No, he has gone right back to work. He is, you know, dismissing any of her saying, "Look, I." And you understand, like, hey, if something happened to somebody, you know, like I'm not somebody that really believes in the spiritual world. So if somebody came to me and said, "Look, I've been talking to this person who died. I really think they're," my instinct would be, "Look, whatever makes you feel good, but I don't really believe you." Mm-hmm. But he is so. It's not just that he doesn't believe her and doesn't believe these women. You can understand that. It's also that he just doesn't seem to like, you know, gr- grieve or mourn or any of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just clearly him. He has closed this door in in, in himself. It's all the grief and all that belongs to Julie Christie's character. Like she's the yeah. she's grieving. She's the one they show in the rain driving away from the house. Like it's it's all with her. But the big I would say the twist here is that the the grief is the thing that's driving Donald Sutherland. Yes. He, it's not it's not driving Julie Christie. She's not being driven by right. this experience and this grief. It is literally his only motivation. At least at the end. I mean, there is a point where it almost changes perspectives kind of from very focused on her to to focused on him, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so he finds out that Julie Christie's not in Venice and she's where she's supposed to be. And it's kind of like, what the fuck is going on? And he yeah. finds the sisters. And there's this amazing turn where he's walking. The, the blind sister is at the police station. He walks her back to her to hotel. And she's so sweet and funny. And it's so normal. Yep. And they get there and the other sister's there. And he comes up for a drink. And it's so normal and she's like picking on the blind sister like your socks don't match and she's like you laid them out for me yeah and, I love that. and it's like so where is that where is that nefarious intent coming right, from right it doesn't exist so then you have to think like well was all that stuff like we're supposed to be in his shoes did he just in like lay that stuff on top of it think oh they say they can see my kid they're terrible they're laughing at me they're making fun of us they're toying with my grief but then you he meets them and it's not like that at all they're just normal Mm -hmm. nice women and he leaves and the blind lady flips out and says don't let him leave don't let him leave because he's not supposed to be in venice everybody right (laughs) And then there's some running down back alleys and some Julie Christie's running after him. In fantastic red leather boots. Her run is so cute, too. Yeah. yeah. She looks amazing in this. Everything she wears in this movie is just amazing. It fits her like a glove. She looks just stunning. So effortlessly beautiful in every single scene. So then Donald Sutherland gets... Spoiler alert. Knived by a dwarf. Knived by a dwarf. In a red... So the the driving thing here is the red and, and his his little girl drowned in a red raincoat. And this um, this killer, you know, running mm-hmm. around Venice is wearing a red 
coat with a hood as well. So he kind of, I guess, thinks that it's Christine, but doesn't. I don't think he really believes it's Christine. And and yeah, him chasing his own grief is literally the death of yep. him. Yep. And, and, then, and yeah. he saw his wife and the two sisters on the boat going to his funeral. His funeral, yeah. That gives me fucking goosebumps. Yeah. That's why he thought she was still in Venice. So the re- he would have left Venice if he hadn't had the quote-unquote second sight and seen his wife still in Venice. Yeah. Well, something, like, oh, there's so much. Like, one thing is that when he sees Laura and the two old ladies on the boat, he never doubts that he sees them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it never crosses his mind of, but there's no way that could be her, because I know she was on the plane. They said the plane was full. Okay, I don't know for sure that she was, but she had to be. It never crosses his mind that he didn't see what he thinks he saw. Because he is a man of logic and a man who, you know, uh, who believes his eyes, who believes what he touches, who doesn't believe that these old ladies are seeing his dead daughter because that's not how the world works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the irony also that he's essentially, you know, currently spending his time rebuilding a Catholic church when he's obviously not Catholic. He is probably an atheist. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of this that he is surrounded by faith and church and like spiritualism and all of these things around him telling him Um, you know, pushing him in this direction. And he is the one who ultimately has more second sight than anyone. He's the one that is getting all these messages and is constantly seeing these little signs of, you know, the color red and the shape, the sort of half moon shape Mm -hmm. that keeps reappearing. You know, it's, it's in a brooch on the old lady. It's, it's, you know, it's in the mosaic and it, you know, ultimately it's his blood seeping out of him He's seeing these things. He's being handed these prophecies. And yet he just, you know, whether it's his choice or whether he's just incapable of it, he cannot acknowledge it. It, There is no, he doesn't have the ability to accept that, wait a minute, something else is happening that isn't just what I know to be true. Uh, And the movie does that, you know, is, is also kind of playing with this idea of like, the women seem in general seem to be more in tune with this part of the world and Mm -hmm. this sort of realm. But at the same time, it's the men who are getting these actual prophecies because it's him. And even the priest is kind of, you know, seems to have these same things in his head and sees them, but can't do anything about them because it's too late. Um, And I think that's just an interesting motif. Even um, Mm -hmm. I didn't think about it, but this was something I'd read and then realized, Oh yeah, it does make sense. Whenever um, one thing I really like, I I love a movie set in another country where a character doesn't quite speak the language and the movie puts the audience in their shoes. Yeah. I I enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. As somebody who's lived in countries where I didn't speak the language, like I love when they capture that mood because it's a really weird feeling and it's, it's alien and so all of the scenes where he's trying because he speaks Italian but not great Italian when he can't communicate you know we're at his mercy because we can't understand what he's saying or what he's hearing either Mm -hmm. but the constant misinterpreting and the constant when he you know not being able men not being able to communicate but women can Mm -hmm. right like when the family that watches his son calls him to say what happened the 
you know, first it's a guy, he's trying to explain it, and he just can't, and the wife is like, give me the phone. Here's exactly what happened. So your son's okay, but this and this. And, like, yep. it kind of keeps going like that, where the manager at the hotel, like, can't, just, like, the conversation doesn't seem to ever flow. Um, and I just, I like that. Again, it's not something I, you know, always believe to be true of men and women, but I think the movie, it's one of those cases where, this is a movie that... <laughs> at its heart and at its themes are, is about a lot of things that I don't necessarily believe or agree with. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I am not a very spiritual person or spiritual at all. Like I am not somebody that generally thinks like, Oh, men are men do this and women do that. But this movie sells it all to me because it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about converting anybody it's just Mm -hmm. in this story that you're watching about this family here's what's going on and here's all of this atmosphere around it and i totally buy it yep uh and it's you know again we keep kind of going back and forth with hereditary because it's and i mean the director of hereditary has said like you know, people have asked about what my influences were. Um, Number one, don't look now. (laughs) You can see it all over the movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good. Uh, it's so good. It really is. Um, this is, I think, probably my third time watching it. Uh, and yeah, and it's one of those movies that I think a lot of filmmakers have drawn from. This is mm-hmm. very much, you can, you know, easily read up on just how many influences you see in other movies from this one. Um, but it's also just a good movie. Yeah, and it, it really is. Yeah, it does different things different times you watch it. You can pay attention to different things. You can look at it from the eyes of different characters and get a different telling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, is it whose story is it? I think it's whoever you decide story it is at the time you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I definitely got something different out of it this time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not like I mean everybody and it's great like we said I mean Julie oh, Christie aside from being gorgeous sure. she is uh, it's not the easiest part because she kind of has to play grief she has to play this but she knows how she, it's the kind of situation where you feel like Julie Christie knew exactly how to what her physicality could convey and she does it perfectly She's Mm -hmm. never overacting. She's never underreaching. Like, she knows what her face does. And that's all she needs to do in some cases. Yeah, it's funny because I I watched some of the extras on this. And um, she, Julie Christie says that it's Donald Sutherland's movie. Mm -hmm. And that she's just kind of there. I don't think she acts like that. It's not like she's phoning it in but from her perspective she doesn't she has a very limited role to play in the narrative and I thought that it was really yeah I thought it was really interesting because that's not the way it comes across at all right it, it it's her it's her movie as much as it is his yeah, I, would, I, would I get I get again that the it it ends terribly for him but it ends terribly for her too oh yeah <laughs> yeah and it's I guess in that sense like Okay, it's his plot, right? The movie is ultimately about what happens to him. Yeah, yeah. And all the signs that were there and how everything was leading to this moment and it happens. 
but yeah, I mean, who who ultimately suffers the worst? Jeez, now this woman gets to have dealt with the death of two of her family members in one year. Mm-hmm. Not to mention the kid. Like, his life's going to be great. It's, ter- it's terrible, and it's really, it's really upsetting. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, you like these people, too. Like, they're, you know clearly they're a loving family he is intelligent he is worldly um Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing and you could have it would have been very easy to take him in a different direction and make him a little bit of a dick um and i it doesn't like i think on one hand like he what's so good about him in this movie is how much he does underplay it because he is ultimately a man of science in this movie, like to go back to lost mm-hmm. terms. And so he's doesn't have, you know, this great, like Donald Sutherland, I think has never been nominated for an Oscar. And it's one of those crazy things. Cause you think of how many great performances he's, he's given. Yeah. But one of the things he does so well is he knows, he, like he's really good at understated performances, which is what he mm-hmm. does here. But it's so perfect. Cause it is a really rich character going through a really rich, horrible experience. Mm-hmm. Their their relationship is is delightful. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then there's a motherfucking dwarf with a knife. Yeah. So another thing I thought you would think was interesting because it legit almost made me cry. Julie Christie was talking about this movie, and she said that she almost didn't take it because she was concerned with the murderer being someone from a group that was already kind of maligned. How interesting. She, she didn't feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she, it almost made her not do the movie. Wow. That's fascinating. That is not something I would have heard, would have thought to hear an actor say about something in 1975. Yep. She just felt like, like I'm paraphrasing, but right. They, People, people, di- pe- different people already get such a bad rap and already have it so fucking difficult. Yeah. I don't want to be in a movie where it's it's a little person wielding sure. a knife. I do, I do not know the proper terminology. I know. I feel like I keep saying dwarf because that's what I feel like I but see the, everywhere. It, but I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. I apologize, everybody. That's I apologize. How it's saying build in the movie. Too. Yes, yes, yes. Very much at the end, the end credits, and you look on IMDb and it's listed as I think. Uh, is it is she listed as what's the IMDb credit is dwarf yes yeah Adelina Porio oh so, so I, I oh go ahead but she played a dwarf nun in something called the clowns well there you go where the hell that is we gotta find it I thought that was very a very astute yes and and ni- a good nice point for her to make like yeah. that was was good yeah it is a very yes um uh worldly smart um nice thing to have thought uh the scene i mean that scene which again is on the bravo scariest movie moments mm-hmm. it's it's a good one because a it's a knifing that looks painful and is awkward and the thing that i always that always gives me the chills is when He's looking at her and he's saying, no, 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 no. And she just is looking at him, shaking her head. What does she yeah, mean when I she's know. shaking her head? It's really upsetting. It is. Because there's something about it where is she saying, is, is like, 
is she in tune with him? Is she saying like, yep, nope, you should have seen it coming. You should have seen it coming. All the signs were there. Is she just, you know, crazy and just stabs whoever she's able to in, you know, in private? Um, There is something about the, and I mean, Nicholas Roeg is a great director. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's done Walkabout, The Witches, which is a great movie. Um, You know, he knows how to frame things. He really uh, does and is also a visionary and does things, you know, in a way that inspires. But there really is something about it's her shaking her head that I don't know what it is about that, but there's something that just really, when I see that, I just kind of just get so tense and that there's something really upsetting about that to me. Yeah. It's, it is super disturbing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's a good movie, man. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to imagine somebody hasn't seen it. But if you haven't, and if, in part, if, like, you were doing what I did for a while, which is like, well, I know the ending, so I don't need to see it. Like, no, it's just so good. It's really good, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And the, um, I've never been to Venice, um, it is the movie that both like makes you want to go and makes you not want to go. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't think I want to go. Yeah. Uh, it the... seems dangerous and exhausting, <laughs> right? So much. Uh, but the thing that I do love is the. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that you know the way it's filmed is amazing, and apparently because of the way Venice is set up, it's really difficult to film there because you have all mm-hmm. of these narrow. You can't really have like giant trucks there. You can't have big dollies and all that. Uh, the thing I love is just the sounds, the water running, the constant, whenever somebody's running and you just hear their footsteps and their heels on the stone, I just, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's such a good movie. It's really great. Yeah. Yep, yep. All right. Do you have any more to say about Don't Look Now? Um, I don't think so. I think I, I talked forever and I think I That's covered okay. everything. Uh, the one thing we forgot is it is based on a story by Daphne du Maurier. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it is our, I think, second film that we've covered based on a story by Daphne du Maurier. That's quite possible. Mm-hmm. And in the extras, I want to read it. I've actually never read any of her short stories. And the extras, they did say what they added. Yeah. Quite a bit, I think. Yeah. And I mean, the sex scene probably isn't in the story. But. Well, the, I mean, even not just like scenes, but like subject matter wise, right, like right. the daughter, the daughter dies a different way in the story. Yes, yes. And um, he's that's not his job. Mm-hmm. He, like They just go to Venice because like to get away right, right. from the tragedy. And I realized I'd very, be very interested to read it still. But like it's it, it's so tough to add on an existing work like sometimes it feels patchwork or it doesn't work but it's yeah it's just so cohesive well and that's also why i think i mean short stories tend to make the best films mm-hmm. because what is a short story a short story is an essence of an idea with something really powerful that sticks and that's what you want to turn into you know a 90 minute movie or an or two yeah. hour movie whereas novels sometimes it's a question of are we you know do are we cramming in plot or are we not cramming in plot and all of that um so it's yeah uh it's it's it might be a perfect movie it is a near perfect movie i i tend to agree yeah all right on that note quality of film 
Um, nine. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree. This is a nine. Might even be higher. Um, like film scholar wise, you could probably say higher. Probably say lower. Somebody I'm sure has a problem with it, but yeah, I'm going to safely say nine. Yeah. Um, I I like it more every time I see it too. Yeah, me too. Quality of film. Uh, oh wait, no, I just said that. Oh. Quality of life. I thought maybe I was wrong and you didn't say it. <laughs> I'll just um, edit that out or something. Quality 9. of 5. life. Nine point five. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm gonna also say nine. Yeah. Just go straight there. This is a great movie and it makes me think of great things and all that. So yeah. Yay! All right, that was Don't Look Now, which is not streaming anywhere, but you can rent it for four bucks or buy the Criterion, which is what I should have done. If you're super into this movie, I cannot say enough good things about that print. Yeah. About I, that transfer, that digital whatever that they did to make things look pretty. I believe there's a commentary. There's a lot of stuff. There's yeah. like a featurette. That we only watched like one of the things because it was late when we finished sure. watching it, but there's so much on that disc. They have um, stuff that apparently there was a, I think, mid-2000s Blue Underground release. Ooh, Okay. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't. I didn't even really know that it existed. But if there's some extras from that that are on this disc. Okay. Um, very cool. So it's really it's great. If so, next next Criterion like Barnes and Noble half off sale. Yes, I need to do it. <laughs> I've do, they, it. I've almost done it. It's like one of those lists of movies that show up on Criterion, and I'm always like, should I buy it? Nah, I I do the same thing where I don't really watch movies that I own. Yeah. Um, but I do. It's one that I want to own. Yeah. It's great. All right. So before we leave you with what we're doing next time, Christine, what is your streaming recommendation? I, my streaming recommendation is streaming somewhere. (laughs) I don't remember where. Um, But it's Pandorum. Pandorum. Do you remember when? Sounds really familiar. It's a science fiction movie. Give me more. With Ben Foster. Okay. And Dennis Quaid, I'm 95% sure that Dennis Quaid is the right name to say. And I didn't know anything about it. I remember them advertising it. And it's about people in space, in science fiction land. And um, I guess uh, Resident Evil, Paul Anderson uh, produced it, I think. I think that's all he had to do with it. But it feels (laughs) like... So say you had a Resident Evil movie in space. It feels a lot like that. Um, it's I didn't know what to expect. That's why I don't really want to tell you what it's about. Okay. I had no fucking idea what it was about. Um, never did. Like I feel like when they advertised it, it was just about like space madness. Okay. And and like I didn't know what it was about. So the whole time I'm like, wait, is this about that? And Zach's like, shut up and watch it. Oh my god, wait, are they gonna do that? Stop, watch it. I'm like, <laughs> but wait, is it this? Is this it, is it? So it's it's there's a lot going on. One could say maybe too much going on, like okay. too many reveals, too many twists, right. too many plot lines. But like I don't know, man. I haven't seen a science fiction movie that I've like was totally caught off guard by in a while. Nice. I vaguely remember when it came out. Uh, I think because I kept getting it confused with is it does it have anything to do with Avatar? Uh, <laughs> 
So it was 2009. It is on Netflix Instant. I'm, I pulled Thank it up you. now. I see I'm reading the tagline, and it looks like one of the plot points might have been given away in it, but it kind of sounds awesome. But I will say the tagline is, better bring a mop because it's about to get messy. And then in the little like pictures they're showing. It doesn't really even get that messy. There's a picture of Dennis Quaid without a shirt looking crazy. I will tell you that if I had to give you a quick pitch, Space Madness. Space Madness. I like Space Madness. I'm in. There's right. And there's like little sprinklings of other movies in it. Some that came after and some that came before. Like there's like feelings of serenity in it. Like okay. not the feeling of serenity, the movie serenity. <laughs> but like there's like weird shit. I don't know. I, I think I liked it. All right, I'm in. I will tell you next time if I've watched it. Uh, the movie I'm going to recommend is uh, quite different from Pandorum. <laughs> Just a little bit. Is uh, it Avatar? No, it's not. It is a documentary from last year. Uh, it is Faces Places. Visage. Uh, it is. It was nominated for a Best Documentary. It uh, is the Agnes Varda documentary where she... Um, she, Agnes, I would say, if I looked at her name, I'd say Agnes, but apparently it's pronounced Agnes. Uh, she's the filmmaker behind Vagabond and from Cleo from 9 to 5. The French New Wave filmmaker. I've seen a couple of her things. Uh, she is now like 88 years old and she made a documentary and it's just so sweet where she teams up with this younger artist, this guy who's like 30 something, who's also French. And what he does is he's a photographer and artist and he takes photographs and then blows them up and like plasters them on public spaces so he'll take a Mm -hmm. picture of like you know they go so what what it is it's the two of them kind of traveling around the french countryside to different places where they can photograph locals and then they put the giant picture on some uh some giant uh space so they, uh, in like a little town, they take a picture of a waitress and have it over the, you know, kind of right in the center of town. They go mm-hmm. to a loading dock um, where, you know, this giant loading dock where there's, you know, 50 men that do the work there. And they take pictures of their wives and have them plastered up, like looking over everything. And it's just like, it's hard to describe, but there's something just really sweet and very it's i mean it's very arty in that sense of like this is a french film about you know a french filmmaker and a french artist Mm -hmm. traveling around taking pictures of people and talking about art like it can get a little bit if you're not in the mood for that it can be a little like yeah i could see that where did you did you say where it was it is on netflix yeah it's on netflix netflix okay uh i missed that the thing like so it can feel pretentious. The flip of that, I think, is that it's also, like, not pretentious at all. Because there's mm-hmm. something about, like, look, this woman is, like, almost 90. And she's hanging out with this completely different person. And they're kind of finding, kind of having conversations about life and art. And sort of finding this common ground. And going to places that you wouldn't expect to sort of find this appreciation for stuff. And kind of you know, just doing exactly what art should do, which is, hey, here's the world. I'm gi- I'm giving you another way of looking at it. What does this say about you? What does this say about your world? All of that. And it's, so it's just like really, really, really sweet about it. Um, yeah, like it's one of those things where like randomly I found myself like kind of like a tiny little tear welling type thing. Oh, it's really? Yeah. 
And I, I don't even remember at which part that was. Like, there's just little things of seeing people like if you've and I mean I'm I do not come from an art background I really you know don't know I don't know much about those art museums with those paintings (laughs) and those sculptures of naked people that just looks funny to me but there's something about like if you've ever really seen like people do portraits or photography when you Mm -hmm. kind of can like understand what makes something art or when it sort of does that and that's kind of what this there's something about this movie that that's what it's about but it's about the humanity in it I don't know I just found it like really really touching so Oh, that's, that's a that's recommend. a ringing endorsement. Yeah, so I'll be curious if you check it out or if anybody else does. And you're right, the exact opposite of Pandorum. Very much. Uh, but on that note, what are we going to talk about next time? Um, oh, <laughs> we're going to talk about. Did we did we decide what we're going to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to Christine, I said, um, "Hey, I noticed I was skimming on HBO Go, and there's a lot of random stuff that we could talk about." Uh-huh. And so I say the first movie, and you were like, "Yeah, Zach will love that." So I'm like, "You know what? Let's do it. Let's watch Vampire in Brooklyn." So what are we going to pair it with? Did we already know. figure it out? No, we didn't. I feel like that's your job. Oh, oh, crap. Okay. Are there any other um, vampires in places they shouldn't be? <laughs> Uh, like a vampire in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, not that I'm aware of, but you can seek them out. Uh, do, I'm making one rule because I'm letting you pick whatever the other movie is going to be. It does not have to be vampires. We did just do vampires. It could be something else. But I'm telling you something, Christine. If you fucking choose a Twilight movie, you are dead. To I me. wouldn't. I would never do that. Okay. You so vehemently hate them. I do. I do. We talked about this last time. I have very stern reasons for it. No, um, and I get your reasons. So no Twilight. Okay. I I'm. Do you want to do another vampire movie, or do you not? I I want to do. What Is that you a John Landis movie? Do. No, I think it's um I think it's Wes Craven, isn't it? Is it? I may, I'm making shit up today, everybody. Um, maybe I'll, um, we said Wes Craven, I almost just said, you sure it's John Carpenter? I don't know what's wrong with me. (laughs) This is what happens Friday nights, we get a little punchy, plain and simple. I don't know, making shit up. Maybe we should cover Vampire Academy, we shouldn't, it's terrible. (laughs) I don't know what that means, so. It's a movie that's terrible. All right, we're gonna oh, pick... you're right. It is Wes Craven. I just made it up. Maybe I'll pick a Wes Craven pick movie. Pick a Wes Craven movie. There's quite a lot of them. That could be fun. Yes. All right. Unless I'll think it's about something it. terrible, but probably not. Have we have we already talked about my soul to take? <laughs> I feel like we have because I watched it on. <laughs> I think I told you my experience with it. I watched it on the Sci-Fi Channel, and they um. Like, aside from them cutting out cursing and stuff, they blurred out baby nudity, which I found really amusing. Um, Do you want to talk about my soul to take? I I always want to talk about my soul to take. I have a sick obsession with that movie. Uh, I mean, okay, why not? We can can either do my soul to take, or we can do the hills have eyes. Like, the actual hills have eyes. You know... Let's do The Hills Have Eyes. Okay. I gave you an out and you took it. No, see, the funny thing is, like, I wouldn't mind watching my soul. Like, I didn't hate my soul to take. I found it hilarious. But I it's found, like, there was a good movie in there at some point, And it just got horribly, horribly 
mangled, mangled. Uh, along the mangled. way. Yep. But, you know, I, it's been a while since I watched Hills Have Eyes. Me too! I don't know that I've ever, like, written about it or really, like, gone I on love it. talking about it. And I have a lot to say about it. So, yeah, let's do it. Okay. okay. We'll do it. All right. Um, so we've got city people in the hills and vampires in Brooklyn. The best double feature. Totally. All right, folks. Uh, until then, if you have things to say about how wrong we were about Deep Red or anything else, please come to the Facebook group uh, and tell us stuff. Yes, please. All right. And remember, like, listen to your instincts. I think if we learned anything today, it is to trust your instincts, right? Right? Don't go to, don't go to Venice. Don't go to Venice, obviously. Yeah, those two things. Unless you can look like Julie Christie when you do. I don't know. She had a rough time even looking like that. That's a good point. There's no hope for any of us. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah, we're all damned. Okay, good night, everybody. Night. Place the palm of screen instead. She's my flame.
Universe in a rocky universe, spiritual ideas, relativity.